0: Hey, folks, welcome back to the Live Everything Podcast. This is your host, Trivius Caldwell. Hey, I really appreciate you hitting that button, spending your time with me today. I hope you enjoy what you hear. And if you do, and if you like it, subscribe to it and share it. And uh, let me know uh, if you need any elaboration on what I'm talking about. Um, I spend a lot of time trying to share my experiences with you and other folks who I otherwise wouldn't come in contact with. So I hope this helps you become a better you. It certainly helps me become a better me. And I uh, hope you enjoy what you hear. Thanks. Hi, folks. Welcome back to Live Everything Podcast. This is your host, Trivius Caldwell. Hey, um, today marks the, um, I think this is going to be the 53rd episode, which is a milestone because I started this uh, this podcast about a year ago, and we just hit 52 episodes, which constitutes season one. So this episode that um, that is coming up here will be a part of season two. So it's a small victory for me. I'm happy to do it. Uh, In today's episode, we have Riley Maddox. Uh, Riley is an undergraduate uh, student at the University of Louisville, and um, I met by happenstance because I was giving a talk on hip-hop at the university, and I ran into Riley in the hall, and she had such a gregarious spirit, um, a youthful spirit, and she was curious, and she sat in on the talk and asked some really good questions. So I figure we have her on a podcast today to talk leadership to get her perspective as a Gen Z representative um, and just to talk about you know some of the ways that she engages in introspection um, to learn something new. So I'm gonna give her a call here in a second and I uh, hope you enjoy this one so sit tight. Hello, Raleigh.
1: Hello, how are you? Hey,
0: can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can. Can you hear me okay? Yep, I got you just fine. How are you doing this evening?
1: Good, how are you?
0: I'm good, I'm good. I am um, excited to talk with you today. Are you, um, um, I guess this is middle of the week for you. You're not too busy this week, are you?
1: No, I just have a couple classes tomorrow, and today I just, um, worked but yeah it's been it's been a quick week and um hopefully we have mcconnell center interviews on friday and saturday so it should be um, a fun end to the week
0: oh are, are you guys interviewing prospective candidates
1: yes we are we oh. have 30 interviewees on that'll be here on friday and
0: saturday. 30 wow wow well that's fantastic yeah. well hey riley i um i want to welcome you to the uh the live Everything podcast this is my um my little hobby here. And uh, (laughs) before you got on, I didn't do so much of a brief intro, but I told the listeners that um, I met you on a trip to Louisville. I met you in the hallway uh, while talking to Dr. (laughs) Greg, and I found you to be very gregarious and youthful and curious. And uh, you asked some great questions in the talk. Um, So I'm excited to talk with you. Um, I will do a brief bio. This is based on your information on LinkedIn, which I think is great. You have such a robust <laughs> LinkedIn, but but you graduated summa cum laude from Notre Dame Academy in May of 2003. So you're fresh out of high school. Yes. Um, you currently attend University of Louisville as a political science major. You're a McConnell scholar and you're also an honors scholar and you are the chief of staff of Cardinal Consulting, <laughs> which is great. Right. Um, you graduated yes. uh, You graduated of the Governor's School of Entrepreneurs in 2001. And the Governor Scholar Program of 2022. You are an expire, aspiring lawyer, but you've also got some experience working litigation for the Gregory Young Injury Law Firm, which is which is pretty fantastic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so thank you for taking the time um, to talk with me tonight.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I'm happy to be here, and I was excited when I um, uh, well. Kind of this came about because Dr. Greg um, was talking to me about my podcast that I did in high school. And he told me that you had a podcast. And I was excited when I reached out and I got a reply that, um, yeah, that you wanted to be on. And um, anyway, I've been looking forward to this um, all week. So I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so I want to talk about a couple of things with you this evening. Um, you know, first of all, I think the elephant in the room is that, um, and I don't want to put a label on you, but you are Gen Z. I'm super interested in this perspective because for you, it's just normality, but I'm an old guy. I guess I'm a millennial. I'm on the, the upper end of millennial. And, uh, so I want to talk about your perspective when it comes to like leadership from, uh, from a new generational perspective. Uh, I mm-hmm. guess from a Gen Z perspective. And then I want to, I want to dig into, um, what I would call a method of introspection that you take that I think is unique. Um, you know, this letter writing, um, um project that you have and have you described that for us um and, and we can go into some detail on that but before we start i do want to i want to ask you a question to get us started here um yeah. and this has to do with with leadership and and perhaps you know the rapidly changing world and the covid you know incident that happened and, and you know how we came out of that what do you think the most significant sort of challenges and opportunities that your generation faces today when it comes to to leadership as you've seen it and how you exercise it? This is putting you you right on the spot.
1: (laughs) I think the biggest challenge to leadership in our generation is, um, is honestly mental health. I think that um, mental health has, is a crisis within um, not only our generation, but we see it in older generations too, but I think COVID really propelled that forward. And I think with the use of social media and technology in our everyday lives um, and how it's almost impossible to operate as a teenager and as a college student without the use of social media, because so much of our communication, our daily communication, our, you know, friendships, our interaction are through social media that, you know, it's almost impossible to navigate the world successfully without a social media account. But I think... That that introduces a whole new level of comparison within young adults and teens that can be really, um, as we've seen, detrimental to mental health. And I think that um, because of that, you know, people are seeing other people online who you know may seem like they're succeeding more than you know you are, or may seem like they have it all together, and and people and myself included, really struggle with comparison. I think that, you know, there's always been an aspect of comparison um, throughout, you know, generations, but I think we see it so heightened um, in the modern world with things like Instagram and Snapchat. And, you know, people can make it seem like they're running the world. And even I laugh because you talked about my, my robust LinkedIn. And like, it, <laughs> I looked at my LinkedIn and I, I think like, wow, like that girl looks like she has it all together, but like on a, on a reality level, like that's not at all true. And, you know, I still wake up and, you know, have late assignments and, you know, things like that. But I think people really struggle with this idea of comparison and it can be really detrimental to, you know, teenagers and young adults mental health by thinking you know look everyone else has it together my life is falling apart mm-hmm. like i don't know you know how i'm not successful like i can't be a true leader look at all of these other people look how great they're leading look how um you know they are able to take charge of this situation and they're able to succeed in this way and and i'm not like that like i don't know i think that can create feelings of um insecurity and almost an imposter syndrome where you feel like, you know, maybe I shouldn't be here. Like, maybe I I don't have it all together. Maybe I, I shouldn't be leading this group. There's better people to do it. And I think that that's a lie that social media sells us because so many people are qualified to do so many different things. And they might, you know, doubt that because they look at people on social media when it's literally a highlight reel of their life. And they think, man, these people have it all together. I'm so far behind. I know I felt that very often um and i want young people to know that you know they're not behind they're like they are not behind they are strong and they can succeed and what you see on the internet is not always true
0: yeah I, th- I think the way you just explained that um is really telling because i think when i was your age or or my generation if you will we, we could not articulate ourselves from that type of perspective. Right. The ability to step back and and talk about mental health um, from it sounds like a a very uh, perceptive perspective that you just laid out. And and it seems like you see this in your peer group. It sounds like you've kind of gone through a a bit of imposter syndrome uh, yourself. What are some ways that you get over that that constant judging of other people um, or feeling like you're not adequate enough um, and, and this, and I just want to say that this is a, a human factor that we all kind of go through this. But hearing you explain it, I think, you know, is is uh, is I don't know, novel for me to hear young people talk about uh, mental health in the way that you do, because it just wasn't when I was growing up, it wasn't talked about that, that openly, that vulnerably. Right. Um, or vulnerable, if you will. But so what are the ways that you have gotten um, over that imposter syndrome or the need to judge yourself um, through other people?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is just reminding myself that, you know, I can do it. And I think that's, it's such an interesting mindset shift. I know I used to think, you know, there's, I think shifting from a, I can't do it mentality to I can do it is like really an impactful thing. And not a lot of people understand that. And I think one of the biggest things for me is knowing like, okay, you know, today was a failure. I failed today and it's okay to fail, but tomorrow I'm going to. I'm gonna go to bed, I'm gonna wake up, it's a new day, and I get another chance to start over, to hit the ground running, and to do um what I meant to do and and not to look at you know the world as you know that I have to solve all the problems in the world, but just take the next step forward the next day. Um I think that is a really important quality in leadership and something that I see in really good leaders, and I'm trying to emulate is picking yourself up when you fall down and good leaders fall down a lot because you know you're trying to lead people and you're constantly trying to motivate individuals and lead by example and i think along with that as we're all human comes failure um but knowing that you have to pick yourself up off the ground at the end of the day and keep going because at the end of the day there's no other choice Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so just pushing through and knowing like Today, I failed. Today was not a great day. Today, you know, I I felt depressed or I cried or I really compared myself to somebody else who I think is better than me. But going to bed and waking up the next day with a, a new mindset and thinking, you know, today is a new day. Today is a day that I can make a positive change and impact on the world. And taking small steps, I think that's important too. Not looking at, you know, not comparing yourself to other people thinking that you have to be exactly like them because people don't become successful leaders by doing it all at once it's like a slow gradual process that they build up to and you don't have to solve you know world peace in one day as they say rome wasn't built in one day you know you wow. have to build yourself up to be a leader and that is by picking yourself up off the ground and taking one step forward at a time
0: wow And raleigh how old are you
1: I'm 18.
0: My goodness. Wow. You you sound like you've been on this earth a lot longer than that. Where where does this perspective come from? Is this is this like rooted in you in, in terms of family or is this faith-based in terms of your upbringing? Because uh, you sound very, very wise. Well, you are wise. i met you. I've talked to you. I know. Um, but what is, where does that come from? Oh,
1: thank you. I think that it comes from Honestly, I think my biggest struggle in life was learning to read. I didn't learn to read until I was in third grade. And with that later came a diagnosis of dyslexia, but I've always really felt behind um, my classmates. And I think growing up with a little bit of a learning disability and not learning to read until I was like, you know, seven or eight really impacted me and showed me the power of what I can do by myself. Like I, I, I would sit down every night and really try to learn to read. And my mom helped me a lot, but I think, you know, feeling behind and knowing what it is, what it's like to work hard to kind of be at the same level as everybody else, but feel like you have to work like five mm-hmm. times harder than everyone else to be there. I think really taught me that the power and value of a positive mindset and of hard work and, you know, your work pays off. And I, I, was so proud when I learned how to read and i once i started to learn to read i excelled very fast and i was reading you know huge chapter books by fifth grade but just that initial push from my parents and from my school and from myself really helped me learn how to persevere and how to pick myself up when I have a bad day or when i'm feeling and and know the power of a positive attitude and the power of persevering and putting one step or one foot in front of the other and continuing on even when the path gets hard.
0: Yeah, It sounds like, um, you know, your inability to read early on, just, just hone that focus, you know? So when you started to do it, you you were that more attuned to what it is you were the knowledge you were taking in. Um, Were there any particular uh, books or subjects that you just gravitated toward in terms of his storytelling ability or your interest in, you know, the subject matter?
1: I always loved historical fiction books and I always loved like self-help books. Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe them they get a little bit of uh, flack sometimes, but I think that it's like somebody, you know, spent their whole life, you know, getting this knowledge and they put it in a book for you to read. And it's like when you go to your grandparents and ask them for wisdom and advice, like these people are, your grandparents are, you know, great at giving wisdom and advice, but people all over the world give wisdom and advice and they put it in books. Um, and I think my favorite book is it's kind of cliche, but it's How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Yep, when I was in the fifth grade, my grandpa gave me his old copy where he had highlighted and annotated it and made notes. Um, and I read it every night before bed for a couple months, and it really changed the way i looked at the world and changed the way that i i saw my life and i think even reading that at such a young age i didn't even comprehend it fully and then i reread it in high school Um, and it's something i really treasure just having not only the book but his annotations and notes in it um and i don't know i think that that book holds a special place in my heart um and Honestly, it's probably helped me get to where
0: I am today. Yeah, what you enjoy is what we call a dialogic relationship where not only do you get to engage with the author, but because of the marginalia of your, you say your grandfather, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, because of his marginalia, you're engaging his thoughts while, you know, while he's not physically there. Right. So, like, it's it's almost to get this twofold when you do it that way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I've always, uh, you know, being, being an English guy. um you know, I know the first the first essay I read that was really powerful for me was Ralph uh, Emerson's self-reliance. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I came up about this when I was I don't think I was in undergrad as well. That's like I read other stuff before that, um, but I can't remember anything I read that had that much of an impact until I read that one thing. But what I found and I'm curious if this is the case for you, what I found is that everything else that I read so far after that essay has been sort of funnel through Emerson because that was the first essay that really moved me. Do you find the things you read or experiences you have kind of always go back to Carnegie like as a foundational philosophy for you?
1: I would also say that's true. I think more in my personal life and like day-to-day interactions, I see the things that he spoke about in the book play out and I see the qualities that he wrote about in the book in good leaders, regardless of if they've read the book or not. You know, I see people unconsciously making the decisions that he talks about in the book to, you know, I see salespeople call people by their first name and say, like, hi, Tom. And, like, that is a tactic that he talks about in the book. Like, calling people by their name makes them really, you know, like you and gravitate toward you. And um, I don't think that I put all of his practices um, into – affect in my daily life, but I think that I definitely can recognize when people use his practices, and I can see even in, like, books that people write and in, you know, speakers when they come and speak to the McConnell Center or professors I have in class, when they're using these tactics, mm-hmm. um, and I and I find, find myself gravitating towards a person, I can see, like, why am I gravitating toward this person, and how can I, you know, emulate this person in my life and make people gravitate toward me the way that I gravitate toward uh this
0: person yeah yeah i want to you said something that made me think about dr greg i want to give him a quick shout out because i know that (laughs) you guys have probably talked about um sort of the platonic triangle right the ethos pathos and logos and reason spirit appetite has he has he laid that on you yet
1: yes he has we are in the middle of plato right now and we have definitely talked about Reason,
0: spirit and appetite. okay okay so when I took his sort of I mean I, I knew philosophy before I took his lecture um with the you know platonic triangle if you will um but now like you just said I see that playing out on so many different levels every single day I think that is the framework that I view leadership with now right this idea of uh of balancing you know, your your reason and your spirit so that your appetite doesn't does run amok, right? Um mm-hmm. it, it really, really interesting. I, I wanna I wanna pull back a little bit and talk about your uh or have you talked about you being an aspiring lawyer. Um because I you know you did some work undergrad. I saw on your LinkedIn profile. I also saw it in your bio. Um what what are you interested in when it comes to law?
1: Yeah, I think um I'm really interested in helping people. I I did work at a law firm in high school. I was a litigation assistant at a uh, injury firm. And I didn't find the work very impactful mm-hmm. or meaningful. Um, and I know that there's so many different little corners of law that um, you can go into. And, you know, uh, personal injury law is, is definitely a, a path of law. But I think I'm, I'm more interested in, like, help. I've always really had... A big heart and i've always felt very fulfilled when i help other people and i think that i really want i know that i have the qualities to pursue law and to succeed in law and i really want to help people with that i think that i've always been interested in criminal law and uh, the criminal justice system in general and um, i think that criminal law could definitely be a path that i pursue Um, there's so many different types of law that I'm not even familiar with so I'm not going to confine myself (laughs) to just criminal law but I do think that I've always had an interest in the criminal justice system and how it it unfortunately affects a lot of people negatively Um, and you know while we have you know state licensed attorneys for every person that goes through the criminal justice system a lot of times the people that have the money to pay for good attorneys often end up a lot better off than people that have to use a public defender and public defenders work so hard and I'm not trying to, you know, on them because Mm -hmm. they have so many clients and take on so many cases and so much. But I think that, you know, it's really unfortunate that a lot of times people that have money get out of things that they probably shouldn't get out of. And people that don't have money get longer sentences than they probably should. And so that is something that, I've always really been passionate about. I've always really had, you know, the fire of justice in my chest. And I would love to, you know, do something with that and, and see real change and help people.
0: Wow. The fire of justice in my chest. I like that. that you you got you to gotta coin that. That's your phrase now. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Let's talk a little bit about the Commonwealth, because, um, you know, as I know it, I call Louisville or Kentucky writ large, my uh, man cave, um, (laughs) because of the, the flowing (laughs) bourbon that's there. Um, but I know you grew up there. To me, that the Commonwealth seems a bit homogenous. That's just me. I'm an outsider. Mm -hmm. Um, seems a bit homogenous, but I know. You know, McConnell center brings in scholars from Kentucky. Can you talk a little bit about McConnell center and then talk a little bit about, you know, maybe perhaps where you want to serve in law, if you want to serve in the commonwealth or beyond, I know it's early right now. Um, mm-hmm. But, but what do you see yourself? So i say in like 10 years and, and, and then talk a little bit about McConnell center and how you kind of came into that scholars program.
1: Yeah. So I'll talk about the McConnell center first because it's been so foundational to my education. Um, I actually, about a year ago, I saw a newspaper, and there was an article about a girl named Allie Geiger, who now is my, like, big sister in my sorority, so it's funny that, you know, things kind of circle back, but they were talking about how she won uh, this really prestigious award from the University of Louisville, you know, she was a McConnell scholar, and they wrote this whole long um, article about her, and I was like, wow, that is exactly what I want to do with my life, and so that that one article really inspired me to look into the program and I looked into it. I wrote an essay that I thought was mediocre, but (laughs) miraculously I did end up getting an interview and throughout interviews, I was like, there's no way I got this. Like I even cried during one of my interviews. I think the, (laughs) the interviewer frowned me so much that I, I, I shed a couple tears, but um, after I was like, there's no way, like I'm going to, you know, go to another college in the state or something, but there's no way I, I got this program. And um, my mom, we get emails of what is in the mail. And my mom had sent me a screenshot of the email she got one morning that was like a mail from the McConnell Center and about her from school and she we have our mailboxes are like a mile away. So she drove me to the mailbox <laughs> and we opened the letter and I just sort of there's a video of it she has somewhere that I'm just crying and she's hugging me and it was like the best day of my life, and I had to miss um, my. M- I did mock trial all through high school, and it was so important to me. And state was the same weekend in as interviews, and so I had to pick. And I chose the McConnell Center, and I felt really bad because I felt like I was letting my team down. Um, but we, I went back to school, and I told my mock trial team, and they were like so excited for me, and um, it was like the best feeling ever. But through the McConnell Center, I have just been so blessed to meet so many amazing people, so many leaders, and to be involved in so many really important discussions going on, not only about the Commonwealth, but also about the United States and the world. I've gotten to meet, you know, the former prime minister of Australia and the ambassador of Ukraine. And, you know, it's been so amazing. I never thought I'd have the opportunity to meet these people, to ask them questions, to have them, you know, Interact with me. I think that that is so valuable, and and not only interacting with these leaders, but also people that differ from me politically. And I think that is so important because the McConnell Center is known on campus to be like a friend group. Like we all hang out outside of you know seminars, and we hang out in the library and get lunch and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think it's such an interesting group of people because we all come from such different backgrounds. We're such different. like politically oriented. We're so you know unique. But we're all friends at the end of the day, and yes, we have political debates, and yes, we don't always agree about everything, and I think that's, you know, going to come from everyone, being from such diverse backgrounds, but I think that it's really unique in that, you know, we're all so different, but we're all so close, and we all hold the same things close to our heart, Um, and that is probably one of my favorite things about being a McConnell Scholar, is like how close I've been able to get with people that are so different from me, and how... I've been, you know, exposed to opinions that I probably would have never come in contact with. And I think they've not only made um, my opinion stronger, but also cha- my existing opinion stronger, but also changed my mind about some other things and made me see things in different lights. Um, and I think that's something that I really appreciate about being part of the center.
0: That's awesome. That That's awesome. What, what has been your biggest challenge um, being in the center? And then what's your biggest reward, you think?
1: Yeah, so I think, honestly, my biggest challenge was was kind of connecting with everyone. I think it takes me, I wrote my, my McConnell Center first semester blog about this, but I think it takes me a minute to kind of get adjusted to my surroundings. And so first month of college was really hard, and I was really struggling to feel like, you know, I was at the right college and that I, like, finding my place. Um, and I think that's a, a totally normal feeling um, when mm-hmm. you're first in college. I just felt kind of lost, but I think as I like continued to put myself out there and continue to show up to seminars and like, didn't give up on being a part of something. I really felt myself start to fall into the McConnell center. And I really found my place within not only the center, but also within the university of Louisville, which I'm so grateful for. Um, and I feel like I've changed a lot, but in a positive way throughout my college experience. And I think that that has, it started off as like a negative thing but i think it's really probably transformed into the most positive thing because right now i'm sitting you know in my dorm room i'm on a podcast like a year ago i don't think i would have ever like even conceptualized (laughs) that this is something that could happen and come out of you know what i was doing in college so i think that you know it started as a negative but i think again like positive like i grew so much and I was able to you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable and step outside of my comfort zone, which I think is something that's important for good leaders to have um, is to be able to you know, try new things and get comfortable in spaces that they might not feel a hundred percent themselves in.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I think, um, you know, going back to the whole, the whole Gen Z thing is uh, I think we're in an age right now where say the podcast or social media, like you mentioned early on, is so prevalent in our lives. It's so, so much of a social factor that we cannot avoid it, you know, um, and our identities kind of get wrapped up in these, these, uh, what I would call facades, right? This idea of the, the persona or, or your avatar. I like to call it an avatar. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, along with mental health, because you, you mentioned mental health as being a challenge, significant challenge. Um, I think for, for the generation, the Gen Z generation, if you will, um, um wh- why do you think that is i didn't go back just a little bit um and i don't have any presumptions about why that is I, you know but I, I think young people are a lot more open um and you know i spent my my covid era <laughs> in in hawaii which which is pretty nice because, you know, nobody was there. They shut tourism down, but it limited face-to-face interaction. So we were mediated through screens, right? This is like the age of Zoom now and like Microsoft Teams and the social media. Um, but it seems like, you know, especially when I came to visit your cohort, you know, you guys are a, a lot more interactive physically. Um, but I'm wondering, like the mental health challenges that you mentioned, um, why is that so prevalent on the radar now when, I don't know if it was a couple of decades ago, or maybe it was, people just weren't talking about it. Uh, why, why do you think that is?
1: Well, I think there's two kind of big problems. I think one is what you kind of just mentioned is that like, I think there's always been some sort of like mental health crisis. I don't, I don't maybe I shouldn't use the word crisis, but there, there's always been some kind of like mental health type issues going on Uh i think it's just become more uh we've become more open as a society and like more willing to receive like help and treatment Uh and so i think that's one thing but i i do think that there's a lot of young people that like an alarming rate have mental health uh, disorders um that we haven't seen before and i think it comes from this idea like you talked about of isolation like mental health really got worsened, or really worsened over COVID. And I think we could really see that that was because we were separated and everything was online. But I think, I think companies and schools and and people that make money have realized that, you know, we don't really need in-person interaction to continue these things. We learned how to do it online in COVID, which seems nice. It seems like, you know, working at home and online shopping and all that stuff would be more convenient and better for everyone. But I think that we're really missing a key piece there. And that is interaction. I think even like interaction when you pay for your groceries, like yeah. even interaction when you you know buy something like is so important and vital to us as humans, we are made to be in connection with others. We are made to be, you know, communicating. And even if you're an introvert and you enjoy, you know time alone which i would consider myself you know maybe a little bit of an introvert i i really <laughs> value i value my time by myself and i think that's that's okay but you know we we can't be so cut off and isolated from the world that we're not interacting with other people when we're literally made for that and so i think this um, detachment from others and from community spaces and from you know even like m- like the library or like you know like associations we talk a lot about um we're reading tocqueville uh Mm -hmm. democracy in america right now and he talks highly of associations and how associations make democracy work and we've talked a lot recently about how we don't really see these associations anymore we don't see like small town meetings we don't see you know things like that and i think it's because of two things it's because we have learn to rely on the internet and so we no longer feel as if we need to meet in person and also um, these people are so busy like pursuing work or other things that they don't have time for these like communal type events Mm -hmm. but i think that they're so vital for human interaction human connection and honestly the prosperity of you know our communities
0: yeah. You know, the underlying question and everything you just said is, you know, why do you do what you do and what is your purpose? You know, you said early on you want to help people and and, you know, law is one way to do that. There are many others, um, but but it seems like for you, that's that's what it is. Um, your perspective is interesting um, and I agree with everything you just said. Um, uh, I'm I'm curious to kind of hear you talk a little bit about. um your means of introspection, I would not classify you as an introvert, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I understand like, you know, I'm an extrovert by nature, but I love my space and my time. So I I like get that. I absolutely get that. Um, talk a little bit about this letter writing. Um, I call it an adventure cause I think it's great. Um, how'd you stumble upon that? Describe what that is and, and how has it been working for you?
1: Yeah, um, I think that it's, um, so it started when I was in, oh, maybe, I think it was freshman year. I found this website, it's called Future Me, and you can basically write yourself a letter and then send it to yourself in a year, and it will just email it to you to your inbox. And I, I stumbled upon it my freshman year, I forget how, I think I was probably bored in a class or something, and I wrote myself a letter. And I totally forgot about it until like a year later. And I got this letter for myself as a freshman and I was like, oh my gosh, I have changed so much since I wrote this letter. Like my priorities changed. I think I was talking about a boy in that letter and I don't even remember his name. Like (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, like you, like your priorities have shifted so much. And so I was like, I should write myself another letter. And so I started doing this like kind of a couple times a year and then my senior year of high school, I had been reading all these letters and I was like, I want to make this a monthly thing because I want to remember exactly how I was feeling my senior year, you know, it, this is a vital year for me, exactly, you know, where I was, what I was thinking about. And so I began to write these really, really long letters on the first of the month. Um, and I would talk about my interests, you know, who, um, you know, my friends, what I was doing, um, my just my perspectives. And I would send them to myself, and I've been doing it ever since. And I write an extra long one on my birthday and on New Year's Day. Um, those are like really, really, really long, in-depth letters, just like outlining everything um, from the year. But I think that it's been so helpful in helping me see, like, you know, what I was up to a year ago, and like remember the feeling, but also um, kind of get my priorities straight in my present-day life and and be like. You know, sometimes, again, back to the first thing I was saying, sometimes we think we're not good enough. Sometimes we're we're comparing ourselves to others and we're saying, you know, like, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be in this program. I shouldn't be in this class. I can't do it. And then I read a letter from myself when I was, you know, 17 last year. And she didn't even know, like, that girl didn't even know what college she was going to. And she didn't even think she was, you know, going to get into the McConnell program because she didn't think she was smart enough. And, you know, so many different things. And it, like, really makes me feel lucky for, you know, where I am today. And it helps me kind of visualize how far I've come. And I started actually posting a couple – I recorded a video of myself reading a letter um, recently that I got a year ago about high school. And I posted it on the Internet, and it blew up a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, so that's kind of – My letter writing process, I think it's, I don't know, I really try to put aside a good hour every on the first of the month to just really write and reflect on how the month has been, you know, what things are upcoming, what I'm hoping for for myself next year. And I always put a little note at the bottom. um, That's like just words of self-encouragement so that, you know, if in a year I'm in a bad place or if in a year I, you know, have a decision that I have to make or I'm struggling with insecurity that I know that, you know, my past self is wishing me luck and my past self believes in me. Um, oh, and I think great. that that's really powerful.
0: So, so a couple things. Uh, first of all, Riley is a very popular name. So if you take those letters and craft a children's book or a book, a collection of letters, that'll do really well, I think. First of all, I know it's probably <laughs> some vulnerable stuff in here. But um, but but second of all, I think even if you didn't do that, you know, at the end of your, your college experience, um, I mean, what a great archive of memory, right? That yeah. can serve as an heirloom uh, or or something you reflect on. I keep journals from time to time. I think this podcast mm-hmm. is a part of that. Um, I, you know, I started this podcast as a way to archive my thoughts um, so that they can exist in perpetuity for my for my, my kids, right, and and their kids. They can just kind of see what happened over the last year. Um, But so, you know, I I challenge you to do something with those letters because I think that can be really powerful. But have you seen a pattern that sticks out as you reread these letters? You said something that was interesting. You said that girl, uh, which you know implies that you have the ability to step outside of yourself and think deeply about how you've changed and, and perhaps ask the question, well, maybe I'm not the person that I was, you know, when I wrote this letter. But like, are there patterns that stick out when you go back and read? you know you read these letters when you get them maybe six months later or a year a year later
1: yeah definitely i think honestly the biggest pattern that i've seen in my letters especially letters that i'm getting now that i'm reading from last year is fear like i Mm -hmm. used to be so scared of the world and i think that that's honestly a really normal thing um like i came from Northern Kentucky. So there's it's very homogenous. Um, very like everyone looked like me, everyone kind of went to was like Catholic, went to Catholic church, everyone was in the same tax bracket as me. You know, all of everyone that I knew in my grade kind of grew up in the same environment with the same type of parents. Both parents had jobs. Um, and I think that I had been sh- I'd been very sheltered my whole life. And I think coming from a place like that a lot of people are scared of the world and Mm -hmm. i think that they don't recognize it and it it doesn't come off as fear it comes off as anger and you'll see this a lot when like you know older people complain about like the city and how like the city is dangerous and and i'm not trying to like undermine you know crime or anything because you know whatever but i think that like so many people carry this fear of the world and they go to high school and college all in the same place and they they their family in the same place and i think while not recognizing it i think my family was sort of like that too both of my parents never left the state um they've always lived in the same place my family is often the same place and so everyone kind of carries around this fear of the world in a a little bit and it's not like a horribly negative thing but i think it, it made me scared too because i was about to go outside of my bubble with no one holding my hand and i think i realize that and i was so scared i was scared to live apart from my parents i was scared to make my own choices um and i even think like beginning of college i was scared like i'd call my mom and be like i'm gonna go to the library and she'd be like you don't have to call me and tell me if you're gonna leave your dorm like (laughs) that idea was like mind-blowing i was like i can do whatever i want now like um and i think that that thought can be a little bit dangerous sometimes because i think that you know we don't i don't want people to like think that they can do whatever they want and then you know end up in a bad spot but I I think that realizing that like whoa like I'm on my own is a scary thought but like looking back like I think that I really have changed and I think it's been hard because I think you lose people when you change like going back to you know back to home is different for me and I didn't I didn't know that I would feel different when I went back home. I didn't know that I would look at things and experiences differently. And I have lost a lot of people in my life because, because of change. And I've lost a lot of high school friends, um, you know, like just relationships. Uh, and I think that's a, a struggle, but it also is something beautiful because I can realize like, Oh, I am changing, but, but it's okay. Like, we're, we're supposed to change. We're supposed to have these experiences that help us grow and become the people that we are meant to be. And without like scary change, without, you know, being in places where we're probably not comfortable or, or being like feeling that fear deep inside of us, we're never going to blossom into the people that we're supposed to be. And I think that that is something that took me a really long time to figure out. And I think I'm still figuring that out, mm-hmm. but it's something that I think has brought me a lot of peace in knowing that I'm going to change. I might lose people through the change. I might see the world differently, but that's okay. And that's how it's supposed to be.
0: Yeah. Raul, you seem so per- perceptive to me um, because you, I mean, you know, what you're saying is that you're able to kind of face your fear uh, as it shows up in, in the letters, but then appreciate, and you can mourn the loss of friends and things like that, things like that because of change, but you appreciate the evolution of it because you know, you're growing and you're kind of getting over the fear, uh, head on. So many people I think go through life, uh, unconscious, you know, they just kind of, <laughs> kind of walking around. You don't seem to be that way to me. You seem very, very thoughtful. Um, are there things that kind of keep you up at night, if anything, right. Do, do you, that you persistently worry about, uh, at all?
1: Yeah, I actually, I think that the biggest thing that I worry about is that I won't end up where I'm supposed to. And mm. I think that this fear comes from growing up in Northern Kentucky and like throughout my life, I've always wanted to be successful, but like, let, I'm not, not necessarily like successfully, like successful, like monetarily, but like just, you know, knowing that I have helped as many people as I can and I've succeeded in that. And I think I look at people from where I'm from and they too kind of, just go through life kind of unconsciously and make decisions and they end up 40 and you know, they don't really love their spouse and they don't really look like they love their life. And I'm not trying to make like uh perceptions about other people's lives. Sure. But I think yeah. that from observations that I've seen, like I don't want to be older and realize like I could have done so much with my life. And I think that causes me a lot of anxiety thinking that like, how am I going to get to where I want to go? Like, how do I, kind of escape the trap of like just kind of letting the world take me and like not working as hard as I could to see the results that I should have been able to see. Yeah. Um. But I think what's something that's important to know is that like if you, I firmly believe that if you work hard and you put your intentions out into the world, that good things will happen to you. Maybe not the things you want to happen. You know, I think, a lot of times things happen to us and we think, oh, my gosh, like this is not how I was supposed to what was supposed to happen. And we try to fight it. But I think it continuing to get up put one foot in front of the other and say, you know. Everything is going to be OK as long as I keep trying and I keep taking small steps toward my goal and not trying to, you know. Mar- like sprint, as they say, it's a marathon, not a sprint, not trying to sprint to the goal because we're going to tire ourselves out. But know that, you know, the finish line is waiting. We just have to continue to take a step forward and not stop and be carried away yeah. by the world.
0: Yeah, I'm going to share with you two pieces of advice and you feel free to steal this first one. I have this mantra. I don't know if I told you this. I have this mantra. I, I, I call it small victories. I always say it. Um, You know, if something happens in my life that I didn't intend on, but it's like a quick win. You know, you said, you know, take it one step at a time you know, live the present moment that you're in. I always say, and I'll verbalize it. I'll say small victories. I even say it to myself. And that's my way of acknowledging the good thing that's happening in the present moment. It's a way to slow down and acknowledging that whatever's happening is good. And then I can continue to move on. But by me saying small victories, it's like, okay, it's, it's slowing down to say, okay, appreciate this thing that's happening. The, the second piece of advice I'll give you this is completely unsolicited. Is uh is um to trust the process. Because what I've learned over over time, like you said, you're very wise. You know, you, you, if you work hard, you'll good things will happen and you'll get to where you want to go, even if you said, even if uh it's not sort of what you want it. And and to me that's like trusting the process. The idea that certain things that happen, like for example, this podcast is happening right now, okay? And mm. um this your voice and your philosophy and the way you think about things will reach people that you don't have a clue about, you know, they're probably overseas or like a lot of military listeners. um, But things will happen because of this. Um, And you don't know what that will be. You just kind of got to ride that wave, but it's a good thing. It will be a good thing. Um, And so just to kind of be perceptive about when that happens and acknowledging it and moving forward. I've seen that play out in my life time and time again and, and the one thing I've had to learn to do is to see control, to, to not try. And it's hard, <laughs> but like not try to pull the strings and just let it go where it wants. I think Dr. Greg and I's relationship is a prime example of that, because I had no clue in 2014 that through meeting him, I'd be talking to you right now, for example. Right. And that's just kind of how it works out. Um, so trust in the process. This is, this is really great. I'm, I, I you know, I didn't have a script for this conversation and I'm glad, <laughs> I'm so glad you shared, uh, what you share. What, what are you, um, what are you reading right now in terms of like, not, not for class. I mean, and if you're not reading anything on your own, that's fine. But, but yeah, you know, what are you reading? What, what, I know you say you like self-help.
1: I'll tell you what I'm actually reading right now is I'm reading the alchemist. Um, Oh by, yeah. Um, uh, paulo oh i don't know how to hello yes um it's a beautiful book i'm about halfway through um it's my mom's favorite book actually um and she gave it to me as a christmas present um and so i'm about halfway through it now and the funny thing is actually we have a mcconnell center book club and that was the book that they chose for this month too so oh really really reading it at the same time that they're reading it so I'll participate in the discussion um, at the end of the month, which will be really fun.
0: You know uh, what will be interesting? But, I had to cut you off. Is have you read? I know you guys. uh Maybe you went through the Prophet Khalil Gibran.
1: Oh, I have a copy of that book. I think Doctor Greg gave us one, um, but I have not read it yet. No.
0: Okay, well, what will be interesting? Because I don't think it's like a chronological book. It's not like the Alchemist. But what'll be interesting is like a juxtaposition between those two. I'm not trying to put homework yeah. on your plate, but uh, I read The Alchemist years ago. I probably need to return back to it because um, it's been a while. Okay, what are you getting from that? Based on you know, I guess everything you've talked about, is it like validating your perspective of things, or what? Are you, what are you getting from yeah. it?
1: Yeah, I think the main thing that I've taken away from it so far is uh, the the very cliche thing. It's not the, the end goal or it's not the end, but it's the journey or however mm. the phrase goes. But um I think that I sometimes get caught up in, you know, you know, being a lawyer, helping people, whatever. But I think that along the way to that goal, there's a lot of beautiful things happening and I'm changing and I'm growing and I'm experiencing so much. And sometimes I forget to live in the moment and just be present with myself and, and say, this is the only time that I'll be a freshman in college. This is the only time that mm. I probably won't be working, you know, nine to five every day. This is the only time I'll be getting to go to classes and going to the McConnell center. And one day, just like every other time in my life, one day I'm going to be going to bed and I'm going to think, wow, I really miss that time in my life. And so um, work hard and know that, you know, what you're doing now has effects in the future, but also be present with yourself now and be with yourself now because you're only this age once.
0: Mm, that's very powerful. Um, you know, enjoy the journey. I I like to run mm. and um, occasionally, occasionally I'll sign up for a marathon and I've run three mm-hmm. of them so far, uh, but I never remember like the actual race and the finish. I always remember like, the three to four months of train up, the journey. Mm-hmm. Like, I always remember the journey, the ups and downs, the good, the bad, but I never remember crossing the finish line. It's almost like that's not even the important part. It's always the journey. Um, so, that's mm-hmm. really, really interesting that, that you said that. Um, yeah. What else, Riley? What else did we, um, that's so much we can talk about. You're, you're pretty wise, Riley. I didn't, not that I didn't <laughs> expect it, but like, you kind of blew my mind here. this is is really good you know part of me wants to try to get you to go and be an english major because i (laughs) could you sound like you're english major to me you know you
1: said actually at the beginning you said i was a class or i I was a political science major but i recently switched um i'm now a philosophy major so oh um, okay i need to uh change that in my linkedin bio but um yeah, I, I just really enjoyed my philosophy classes this semester, and I decided to make a change. And uh, I'm now a political science minor, but I, I have a philosophy major. So that's, that's a pretty cool. See,
0: uh, I said philosopher at the beginning of the podcast. I, <laughs> I called it. I called it. That's awesome. What part of, um, if you don't mind me asking, philosophy are you are you into or have you st- started to dive into?
1: Yeah, so I think the biggest thing that um I've, I've looked at is kind of Plato. I Mm. studied Plato a couple summers ago um, at a summer intensive, and I really fell in love with the writing um, and how everything was described. And and through the McConnell Center, I've been able to kind of read and analyze Plato in a different light that I didn't see before. Um, And I'm in some intro to philosophy classes. I'm in a uh, a bioethics philosophy class. um, And so that's, I'm not really STEM oriented. So it's an interesting class, but it's not you know, super interesting to me, Um, like, I won't utilize that in my personal or professional life, but mm-hmm. it's a, a different take, but I think really reading Plato and analyzing, you know, ancient Greek philosophy and ancient Roman philosophy is something that really has my heart fully, Um and I will, you, it, you can never, like, get tired of it, because I feel like I read a passage, and I, you know, see it one way, and then you come back to it, you know, a month later and you see something completely different. Um, and I I think that's
0: beautiful. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, I there's a philosophical term that I encountered in undergrad and I always go back to it in my literary studies. It's called epistemology. Have you heard of epistemology? I have. Yeah, it's a stu- study of knowledge and it's how we know the world. Um, but you you know, you just said something that points right to epistemology. It's like if you read something today, you're reading the Alchemist today, right? And you get a particular thing from it, right? Trusted journey. You know, everybody's a sage. Ten years from now, when you read the alchemist, you're gonna get something completely different because your understanding of the world, your epistemology has changed. Um and and mm-hmm. most people are not conscious of that. Um it seems like you are because you started this letter writing process as a way to practice it. To practice a type of intellectual consciousness that most folks don't, you're you're pretty damn smart, Riley. <laughs> like most, I don't think most undergrads are as um, thoughtful about this kind of stuff. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I, I've not encountered most uh, undergrads as thoughtful as what you He's just coming demonstrated. Coming out of
1: the McConnell Center, coming out the McConnell Center for a little bit, and I'll show you like thirty-nine other people who are super cool and thoughtful.
0: Yeah, um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of <laughs> Seth's mullet right now. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Was there anything else that we didn't we didn't hit on that you wanted to address?
1: Oh, I don't know. I think I think I talked about it a little bit, but I I think I want to reiterate the power of positivity and like how sometimes you know you're not feeling great and positivity is a choice and I think joy can sometimes be a choice and you have to wake up and choose to be happy and it's not always possible and I think sometimes we put too much pressure on ourselves to be happy and you know we should let ourselves feel you know if a situation is happening we let ourselves feel it but then we let go of the negative and we you know choose to embrace joy and choose to embrace happiness. Um, I, I hope if anybody is listening that the one thing to take out of this is that you know you can choose joy for your own life and obviously you're not always going to be joyful and happy but you can wake up every day with a mindset that everything's going to work out everything's going to be okay as long as i give it my all today and i can be happy today um and i think that when you switch your mindset from oh i have to do this today to oh i get to do this today it it sounds stupid but it's such a drastic like mindset shift that it makes you excited to wake up in the morning. And um, I think that I am genuinely excited to wake up in the morning. I didn't always used to be like that. But I think when I figured out that thinking about, um, you know, the day as something that I get to do instead of something that I have to do, um, really reframes the way that I look at my daily tasks and allows me to be happy throughout the day. So I think, positivity is very powerful um and you just have to choose it every single day and um i you can really see some positive effects in your life
0: i love it i love it i'm gonna title this podcast the power of positive thinking with riley maddox that's that's right. the title that's gonna be it well hey <laughs> riley i really appreciate your time thank you so much i'm gonna nice. um you know, I'll get this thing up and I'll send it to you. I'm also going to encourage uh, Professor Greg, Dr. Greg, to uh, to put it up on the website on his website. Um, Aww. so you know, embarrass thank you a so little much. bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, no,
1: I, I really, I appreciate you so much for like, thank you so much for having me. I it's been a great opportunity to sit and talk um, with you and you know, hear your thoughts on things. And uh, it's I think it's rare for you know me to have this kind of opportunity. So I just really want to thank you again for no, um, having
0: me. No problem. Well, I look forward to seeing you in the future. I don't know when, uh, the wind will blow me back toward Louisville, but when it does, um, we'll grab a coffee or something.
1: Yeah. You let me know.
0: All right, Riley, you take care of yourself. <laughs> you have a great evening.
1: Yes,
0: you too. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right. Bye. Wow. What a, what a great conversation, uh, with Riley Maddox. Hey, um, Thanks for tuning in and um, hope you got something from that conversation. I sure did. I was very much impressed uh, with Riley. I always am when I talk to her. Um, so thanks again. And we'll talk to you soon.